Hello, travelers. Welcome to Mwende We Know podcast season two. As you know by now, Mwende We Know translates to go well in several Zambian languages and is used as a blessing on people who are embarking on a journey. The Mwende We Know podcast aims to inspire you to explore your city, your country, your continent, and beyond. And in each episode, I speak to people who embody what traveling well means to them. My name is Mazwa Kapambwe, and I am your host. Now, my guest today will share her experiences embarking on a solo trip through several West African countries, including Senegal, Gambia, Sierra Leone, and Ghana, over the course of three months. Hannah Ajala is a freelance journalist whose most recent work has appeared on the BBC. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the Monday We Know podcast. Hey, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. You're very, 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 very um, welcome. Now, I know that your trip has was cut short. Um <laughs> because of um, Corona, which has affected our lives in such a huge and tremendous way. But I thought it'd be great to do this podcast, just kind of to relive those memories. And, you know, you're obviously going to travel again. So I thought it'd be good to just begin with, you know, sharing um, with the audience um, and myself, what was your inspiration behind going on a solo West African trip? Yeah, absolutely, Ms. And do you know what? Mm-hmm. I genuinely, I would say that I don't think any of this has been cut short. I think everything that I needed to do came at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's the biggest relief being where I am now in my motherland, Nigeria, during the time where, you know, coronavirus is on the high and several lockdowns have been imposed. Um, Yes, I just wanted to reiterate that and that these travels will continue for a couple of months. But if we go to um, back to the beginning, Mm -hmm. um, what inspired it, I would say, is that I've been working at the BBC for the past five years. And the last year specifically, I've been working at BBC Africa Mm -hmm. um, on a radio program, and I've also worked on digital. But the incredible thing about working in such an exciting hub like BBC Africa means that I literally got paid to learn so much about the continent. Mm -hmm. So it got to the point where I knew so much about the economy, uh, the politics, what feminism is like, what women's rights, are like in each of these countries. I knew so much about them, but the only thing that was missing was me physically being there. Mm-hmm. So with a lot of planning and prepping and praying, trying to get some commissions off the ground, got two really amazing commissions on the ground. That definitely made me more confident to go out there and do it. I did a few call outs. Thankfully had um, colleagues that work across these different countries, did a lot of reading, connected with bloggers online and once I had my little checklist Mm -hmm. the only thing that was um you know left was for me to physically go there so I would say the main inspiration behind it um was just working on African stories every single day Mm -hmm. and um like how how did you knowing that you wanted to go on this trip like how did you save for this trip how much did you save and Mm -hmm. How did you select which countries that you would visit? Yeah. So in regards to saving, I think that's just the beauty of obviously working full time at the time um, before deciding to 
go freelance and I'm going to be very very honest with you Mm -hmm. that's a question that not a lot of people have asked me Mm -hmm. I didn't save up to a thousand pounds I know this sounds nuts (laughs) like what on earth how Hannah who's your sugar daddy (laughs) promise there's none of that Mm -hmm. I think it just comes with a lot of faith and just knowing that things were going to be put in place anyway Mm -hmm. um you know, so I think I had, I definitely had under a thousand pounds. And I left on the 27th of December, 2019. And because I was freelancing and so many invoices I was waiting on that I expected to be paid. Mm-hmm. Let's say, I think a month later, I had about up to 2000 pounds in my account. So that's the money that I was literally waiting on to go with my travel. So mm-hmm. I could be like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've saved up two grand. If anything happens, it's fine. Mm-hmm. So that came in about a month later. And also bearing in mind, as well as traveling and exploring and et cetera, I was still working. So I was still reporting on local stories. I was still creating podcasts. I was still writing articles um, as well as the BBC, but for other um, publications as well. Mm-hmm. So I was estimating my income and thankfully that came in. So being very, very honest with you, I didn't save mm-hmm. um, significant amounts for this trip. Um, simply for the security of knowing that I'd be getting paid along the way, mm-hmm. which is it's a bit risky. Yes. But I don't know, it's what I did, I guess. Uh huh. Well, definitely risky because I'm a freelancer and yeah, like, you know, between the time that you submit the invoice and then the time that you get paid, sometimes it's not the net 30 or the net 60 that it's supposed to be. So exactly, <laughs> but, exactly. But I mean, you know, you, you went on faith and it ended up working out for you. So I wanted to know, like, how did you pack for this trip? Because you were going on a long term trip. So like, I mean, you're only allowed, like, what, two suitcases and most airlines and a hand luggage. So, like, how did you stuff everything that you needed um, on this for this trip? Yes, absolutely. And I, I guess it sort of goes back to the question that you asked about selecting the countries that I would visit. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of it was based on the work that I wanted to do and, and curiosity of um, these these places where I could potentially find these stories in. Obviously, Africa is a mahusive continent. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right, listeners, Africa continent not a country I'm sure you all know this by now (laughs) but it's just scary how many times I have to keep reiterating that um but yeah I did a little call out on Twitter because one of the commissions basically included going to these countries where I could find these contributors so I picked for the first four uh Ghana Sierra Leone um Gambia and Senegal Mm -hmm. um and I packed based on the weather so speaking to friends colleagues networks that I knew that were there telling me what the weather would be like um so a lot of the clothes that I packed were very light clothes bearing in mind I've never done this before like Mm -hmm. I've never left the UK for longer than a month Mm. I've never lived in Africa Mm. so I'm just really relying on what other people have to say yeah so I would say um you know you know like the little clothes capsule thingy-majiggies yes the packing cubes there we go Um, absolute lifesaver so I had about six of those in total and I just distributed them amongst pajamas I really like pajamas I know it's a weird thing but I have like 10 different types some people think that's so extra but sleep is such an important thing to me Uh so I wanted to sleep in a range of different pajamas so I got loads of those Um, I got uh, loads of tops like casual tops plain tops so I could mix and match dresses for 
hot days, which is pretty much every day, mm-hmm. some trousers, um, some evening clothes, maybe about eight pairs of shoes in total, um, one pair of Converse for working out and running and etc. And mm-hmm. I also looked at loads of YouTube videos and it's really inspiring how people can travel around the world for seven months in one backpack. Okay, that I cannot no, do. I'm just going to put it out there. I, I cannot do that. Oh. <laughs> Like, I don't know, it's, it's really, really fascinating. And I don't think I'm extra, but I, I can't do it. Yeah, no. Um, you know, one of my really good friends, she did Southeast Asia for five months and, you know, she proper outlined the, the items of clothing. So I think it was like eight tops, maybe about 10 pairs of underwear, that, you know. And I just thought, you know what, that's not me. Because the thing about me, packing necessities it's also about being comfortable yeah because everywhere I'm going I'm essentially going to make it a home so I had two suitcases in total one is predominantly for clothes and the others for necessities toiletries and extra bits um I compiled my shopping list maybe about three months before I headed out mm-hmm. um and I also do travel travel blogging as well as well as my main Instagram page Hannah Ajala I also post on Ajala Travels where I post hacks and etc. So, you know, things like torch lights, um, those have just been so, so handy. Um, a, a curtain uh, rail, so what you hang the actual curtain cloth on, okay. and that strong um, bendy uh, rope that you, that you hang it on, basically, that's been like a godsend for me because um, before I came here uh, to Nigeria, I was hand washing my clothes for two months, hadn't seen a washing machine in two months. So having somewhere to dry it on and, you know, just little things. Yeah, I never honestly. thought about that. That is like so, it's I mean, crazy. I mean, it's it makes perfect sense. But, you know, it's like not something that you usually think about beforehand. And even the torch, because like, you know, with the amount of um, load shedding in several African countries, including Zambia, like, you know, you have to you need a torch. You need some source of light for the days when Always. there will be no electricity. So yeah, that's so smart. I never thought of that. Thanks for sharing that. It's definitely now put on my list. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I it's just um I don't know. I think not something that I thought of, but I guess it's just experiences as well, obviously. Like, um, you know, going back and forth to Nigeria, I think it's the country I've visited most of my life, and just paying extra attention, because the last African country I went to before the move was only six months before I left, and that was in Ghana. Mm -hmm. So it was having conversations with my friends there and saying, okay, what are your necessities? What are the things that you can't go a day without that aren't like materialistic stuff? Um, And just, yeah, getting inspiration off that, thankfully. And it all worked out well. Um, Again, me going with two suitcases is not what people would consider as the ideal but I think it's just understanding the type of traveler you are mm-hmm. um and I'm very thankful for um most of what I've packed I mean there are a couple of bits that I thought oh, okay maybe you didn't need to bring a a box to you know put all your makeup in you could have easily put it in a little makeup bag mm-hmm. so I've decided I'm going to leave that behind and it's already broken in the process of how many airports it's been um, going through mm-hmm. through all these trips. Mm-hmm. But no, all in all, I'm genuinely really happy with what I've packed. Um, back home in London, I have a lot of clothes. So thinking of it now, there are some items of clothing that I do miss. Um, and then it's kind of hard to almost 
get out of that um, mindset of, oh my God, like I'm, I'm wearing the same clothes every single day. Yeah. So just so, <laughs> trying to switch it up as much as you can. Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with what I've packed and I've been able to make a home everywhere. And I just randomly counted, I think since I left in December, I've stayed in 11 different places now. Oh, wow. It's crazy. Wow. Um, speaking of like staying at different places, which obviously like if you're staying at an Airbnb, you have to um, pay money and like track your finances. So how did you track your finances through the trip? Did you use an app or did you do like the traditional Excel spreadsheet, for instance? Yeah, the traditional auntie Excel spreadsheet because <laughs> I love graphs um, and I'm looking at it right now, funnily enough. So not only do I have like a budgeting tab for each month, mm-hmm. I also have a tab and I titled it We Move. So um, there's three different graphs. One says spending money, second travel, third accommodation. Um, I think it's important to track your spending money just to see how much like you're spending in total. Um, so what I did, I just put each country, the amount of days, I set myself a budget and then I would later on put the actual amount that I spent so I kicked it off in Ghana where I was for almost 20 days, so about three weeks. Mm-hmm. And in those three weeks, I spent £300, uh, Sierra Leone. I was there for just over a month. I spent £400, Gambia a month, £400, Senegal just over two weeks, £250. Um, and I also made note of how much I'm spending on on flights. So London to Ghana was the most expensive thus far, seeing as I left in the year of return, crazy mm-hmm. party season. So mm-hmm. the one way was £420. Actually, rather than just giving you guys all of the amounts, um, in total, the spending money that I've spent since December is about £1,300. In total, since December, the amount that I've paid for flights and transport is a thousand and thirty pounds and accommodation this is a big wow for a lot of people since i left december i spent 320 pounds on accommodation and i would say the reason why that amount of accommodation is significantly lower is just being so thankful to have um really good friends and connections that hosted me in their homes and notice how i'm going to talk about making somewhere a home a lot is because i'm very selective of where I choose to lay my head like Mm -hmm. I want to feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and I have felt comfortable so the friend like my friend um who let me stay at his house in Gambia had two spare bedrooms it wasn't inconveniencing in the slightest he said I've got a spare key here you go you can stay here cool and the same um was for Ghana and the same uh was for Sierra Leone um in my friend's mum's really beautiful house spare bedroom house help oh my god I was literally spoiled on that trip <laughs> um that was just the best like I ate five times a day oh my god your new food changed my life oh. and I guess it's the same where I am here in Nigeria as well I'm staying with a family friend so that has really worked well in my favor um and just before this when I was in Senegal I had a little bit of a drama so in the space of two weeks i stayed in three different airbnbs um, for a variety of reasons first airbnb the host was a little bit of a misogynistic man mm. i'm gonna be very um careful with my language here mm-hmm. um you know just was quite skeptical about the fact that i obviously was a woman traveling around west africa and to be honest with you um 
any Airbnb host, I've never had a conversation that's longer than five minutes. Mm-hmm. It's usually the simple, let me help you with your bag. Here's a Wi-Fi password. Here's how this works. Enjoy your stay. Yeah. Um, so he was quite intrusive. I got my private room and private bathroom. That's always my standard with every Airbnb. Mm-hmm. But he obviously stayed in the same house. Mm-hmm. And he just made me feel a bit uncomfortable. A tip that one of my friends said is, if you're ever unsure about an area, just book the first few days at the Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And on the actual website, you can choose whether you'd like to extend it. And I'm very happy that I did that because not only was that first Airbnb in Dakar far from everywhere, um, I also had that issue. The second one was better. The host was absolutely lovely, really helpful. Um, but there was just a bit of a security issue with the balcony. The lock was broken. Mm. And I shared that balcony with my neighbors next door. So it meant every time I had to go out, I had to take all my belongings with me or just be paranoid in case any of my stuff was going to be taken. Yeah. Um, and then finally, the third and final Airbnb was perfect for me. It was very clean. It was in such a central area. I could walk everywhere and anywhere. Um, and I stayed with a really, really lovely lady as well. So I don't know. I guess, um, you know, it's through these experiences, it really toughens you up as a traveler. You can either sulk about it or you can just keep it moving. Um, yeah. So I guess that's a beauty of Airbnb, knowing that you could go from one place to another. And um, and and it, it is quite safe as mm-hmm. well. So. Yeah, but I would definitely say I'm, I'm very thankful for just not spending loads of, on accommodation, and, and that's based on um, just people that I've spoken to. So looking back at my finances, I genuinely feel really happy because I'm not spending a lot, whereas if I was in London, oh, my God, I'd be spending my life away. But I guess that's what happens when you're in a different environment with a different economy. So, yeah. Yeah, truly. Um Thank you for sharing that. And you have like more detailed breakdown on your blog, which I'm going to link to in the show notes if people are like super interested in, um, you know, more, yes. more of your finances. Um, but you've walked us through um, some of the countries that you visited. Um, but for you, you mentioned um, Gambia already, but could you walk us through some of the other countries that you visited? So you started with um, Ghana, as you mentioned, and you also yes. um, briefly alluded to the fact that you stayed in um, a couple of countries for like a month or three months. So I kind of wanted to know as well, like, um, I think, you know, it's more like you're taking more of like a slow travel approach versus people that will go for like, you know, a weekend or a week, like you're actually immersing yourself in the country for a long period of time. So why did you choose the slow mm-hmm. travel approach? Um, and also, could you walk us through some of the countries you visited? Yeah, absolutely. I think, okay, so the slow travel approach to me is really important because, um, again, it's such a massive continent and each country is just massive as well. And bearing in mind, um, this is my West African trip, right? And I'm a West African woman. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also with the education um, of what I've learned at my time as a journalist at BBC Africa, that countries are just so different from one another. Um, And I just wanted to really understand what makes them different from one another. So Ghana is somewhere that I'm I'm very familiar with already. uh, So that would have been my fifth time there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just a great way to start the trip. Uh, You know, it was celebrating the end of the year of return. Um, where you were meeting people from literally all over the world and so many of my friends were there. I was bumping into people there more than I would back at my home in London. It was absolutely crazy. Um, So I was there for a few weeks and it literally just flew by. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was just networking, um, 
partying, uh, doing some coverage at Afro Nation Ghana, doing some interviews with creatives, um, you know, still remembering that I'm a freelance and freelance were not on holiday like most of my friends living their best lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I was there for just over a couple of weeks. I had friends that were still there when I was leaving that were begging me to de- um, delay my arrival to Sierra Leone. And mm-hmm. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> Literally, my last day in Ghana, we were partying till 7.30 a.m. And I had a 10 a.m. flight to catch. Wow. 10 a.m. Wow. Thankfully, everything was packed. I rushed, rushed home. I was still in my party clothes. I just put a T-shirt on top, made my way to the airport, literally just caught it in the nick of time um, and just, yeah, dribbled heavily on the flight. Um, And I feel like, to be honest with you, um, Sierra Leone was when this really started for me because it was completely new ground. Again, it's a country that I've read and, and learned so much about. And, you know, the fact that I've chosen a month, am I crazy? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but what gave me so much security was knowing that I'm staying with my friend's mum in their beautiful family home, knowing that I'll be well looked after. And I was, like, her mum literally became like my mum. You know, so much happened in Sierra Leone, from the friends that I connected with to the people that I met, um, I was in Sierra Leone when I found out that my grandmother passed away. Um, you know, it was just such an emotional time. Um, but again, being with my friend's mom, like literally, I, I met her for the first time when I was out in Sierra Leone mm. and, and just literally feeling so comforted, like just feeling like I had family, mm. even though I was thousands of miles away um, from my own family. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, staying a month there was the perfect amount of time where I got to, you know, learn more of the local language, which is Creole, uh, even though, you know, a few of the countries that I went to were colonized by the English. One thing that I absolutely loved about Sierra Leone was that they take so much pride in their language um, of Creole. So, you know, the slight difficulties, but yet um, intriguing mindset that I had to want to pick up as much as possible so I wouldn't be, you know, singled out as a tourist or etc so you know you do that by taking more public transport so I would jump on the keke my peps uh, regularly Uh, several other countries refer to them as a tuk-tuk as well so just those little uh, tricycle taxis Mm -hmm. uh, speaking to drivers speaking to the locals again I'm doing interviews so connecting with interesting people online and creating like a rough schedule of things that I want to do people that I want to meet any landmarks or beautiful beaches um, that I want to see as well Uh, so I, I find that when you're going somewhere there's no harm in maybe just looking at two or three places that you genuinely want to see, not just for Instagram purposes, but if it's just something that you're interested in and want to experience in the flesh. Um, but other than that, just not being afraid to have recommendations from friends. You know, I, I ate the best a chicken that I've a chicken that I've ever had in my life, <laughs> and that was in Sierra Leone, even though it's originally from Ivory Coast, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, Literally, one of my photographer friends, he asked if he wanted to meet me, had it. Me, him, and my other friend, Yasmin, we just ate around the table, eating that chicken with our bare hands. And it was probably one of my most memorable evenings or 
you know, listening to live music, you know, with loads of locals at a really beautiful hotel before heading out later that night. And there were just so many beautiful memories that were spent um, in Sierra Leone, which Mm -hmm. I'm just so grateful for. And I think it was a reminder of, Hannah, well done for doing this. Well done for getting out of your usual surroundings, learning more, speaking to more people. And I guess just really fulfilling one of your lifelong dreams. Um, So that was a really beautiful um, moment. Uh, well, several moments and a month spent in Salon before I headed off to Gambia mm-hmm. for another incredible month. And what did you do in Gambia? Oh my gosh. So it was pretty much similar-ish in terms of some of the, the work that I was set out to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually working with a museum in London. Um, the exhibition was meant to go live in April, but hashtag COVID. So mm-hmm. that will probably be moved to May or June. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's running on through till the end of the year and it's about migration. So that's one of the commissions that I'm working on. People that have been born or raised in a westernized country and in the later part of life, whether they're in their 20s or etc., cetera, uh, decided to move to their parents' place of origin. So in Gambia, Sierra Leone, um, sorry, in Ghana, Sierra Leone, and then Gambia is where I've been speaking to these people um, and just uh, learning more about why they moved back. Uh, So I'd be voice recording their answers, our interviews, and that will be exhibited in the exhibition as well as, of course, photos. So that was another really exciting part, meaning that I would do call outs Mm. on social media for photographers and when I tell you Mazuba I would post a tweet and say looking for a photographer it's a paid opportunity obviously the museum are paying for it they're paying me etc I would get a response within an hour and those photographers that I connected with in Ghana Gambia Sierra Leone I'm still really good friends with now so I think that was just a really beautiful thing knowing not only are we connecting but I'm you know, you're being paid on a wage as you would be paid in the UK, mm-hmm. which is obviously a lot different to where we are economy-wise. So, yeah, that was one of the first things I did. And I had to be quite quick with that in Gambia because I think um, I had to uh, get all of the um, interviews and all of the photos ready to send back to the museum in London. I remember there was a power cut um quite it was happening very frequently in the apartment that I stayed in for the first half of Gambia Mm -hmm. and it was happening on deadline day where I agreed that I would stay at home the entire day I had all my food and snacks and I would power through till the deadline there was a power cut three hours before it was due had to quickly run grab a taxi to I think was it the Sheraton or Radisson Blue because obviously everyone goes to a hotel for internet in Africa. (laughs) So I went there, and um, it got to the point where the staff actually thought I was staying there, which was lovely. (laughs) You know, of course, I would always order, like, a drink uh, and just sit there and just power through, but that was quite stressful. So the first week, I wasn't really out and about much because I had to really buckle down with this deadline. Um, But as soon as that was done, um, I met with some colleagues, um, and it's just weird and crazy, and but beautiful how you make friends. So it was um, the I would say the one friend that I had at the time before heading to Gambia. She was the one that got me uh, details of the apartment to stay in, and also the driver that would be picking me up from the airport. Because I am a little bit of a planny person. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to just land somewhere and be like, oh, can anyone drive me to my hotel? Like mm-hmm. I really like to set things up. 
so yeah, she got her, I think her sister's driver to pick me up and literally that driver is like my best friend slash brother now. You oh. know, we had such a great bond, um, you know, in the car journey from the airport to drop me to my apartment, I introduced him to the burner boy. He'd never heard of him before and now he <laughs> loves him, which was crazy. And it was, it was, um, I really appreciated him because Obviously, he knows I'm alone, I'm traveling alone, and he did not fail to check up on me to see if I was okay. Mm-hmm. If I ever wanted bread from the shop down the road, he'd buy it for me. He would escort me to places. It was like a really genuine and beautiful friendship. And he showed me around quite a lot of local areas that I don't think I would have seen, um, you know, especially in the latter part of my trip where I, I moved in with my friends who had a spare bedroom. And, you know, again, I got to save some coins. And where I moved in for the second part of my Gambia trip was much more central. And that's where I felt even more immersed because I was walking everywhere. I loved it. I put my headphones in. People thought I was crazy because <laughs> Gambia was actually the hottest, I would say, out of all of them. It was it was very, very hot to the point that I got like a migraine because mm. I was walking in the sun for half an hour. It was I basically got symptoms of heat stroke because it was just, yeah, it was a very silly thing for me to do that I won't do again. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was just really nice just, you know, walking everywhere and speaking to locals, learning the local language, which is Wolof. It's very different sounding, but Wolof gets you really, really far. Um, Obviously, the colonizers are English, Mm -hmm. but it's just, again, I think it's just part of the the traveler experience and not everyone actually speaks English so I guess it just taught me to get out of my westernized bubble mm-hmm. um and I made uh friends with a lovely lady on Instagram called Marie she runs a clothing line and around that time is when I started writing for a, a magazine who were commissioning writers and I thought okay freelance life got to get the money up so they were really interested in speaking in hearing from under 35 year old entrepreneurs. So I connected with this lady, Marie, who runs a clothing brand um, in Gambia. And we became really good friends out at like, she was literally my turn up girl to, you know, going out for dinner, going out for drinks, just going to the beach all the time, you know? Yeah, it, it was just really beautiful to just create a genuine friendship. Cause mm. I found that at the beginning of many of my travels, I didn't go in there with the, okay, I've got to make sure I've got to meet this person and that person. I was just very free with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just the best way to be because that's how, you know, really beautiful friendships um, start. So yeah, speaking to a lot of people uh, for this podcast that I'm working on. So that's a second commission piece, which kind of ties in with um, what I'm doing with the museum. Mm -hmm. And again, it's about people that have moved back to their parents' place of origin so I've been speaking to people from Ghana to Sierra Leone to Gambia, Senegal, um, so forth. And I guess that was another great way of connecting with people because, you know, great conversations. They know that you're obviously not Gambian. They want to show you places. Um, I interviewed uh, one of Gambia's biggest music artists, Chisel. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, really great speaking to him, getting him on the BBC airwaves as well. It was honestly a bit of everything. It was work, enjoyment, relaxation, fun, exploration. And, you know, to be very honest, as I said to many of my close friends, family members before I even left, um, I think the person I'm doing this trip most for is for me, is Mm -hmm. for Mm self-discovery. Because, 
it's just so different, you know? Like, back in London, if I was ever craving a pizza at 11pm, it could get to my house by 11.30. Yeah. That wasn't the case in many of these places. If it's shut, it's shut. Yeah. Make your food at home. Or if there's no food at home, you just got to wait till the next day when the shop's open. Yeah. So so much patience so much resilience as well um you know realizing that i'm in many places where women are considered inferior you'll be looked at you'll be catcalled like how will you handle that you've got to respond differently Mm -hmm. to how you would in your usual surroundings Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think by that point when i was in gambia i was very much so you know uh very aware but also very confident within myself um and I was surrounded by the best people, so I think that's what added um, even more to the experience. But I would say Gambia had a lot to do with friendship as that's, well. That's and awesome. And um, meeting new people. I mean, that's 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 part of the you know that that's the one of the best things about going to a place is like you know meeting people, and sometimes they're like chance encounters, like you mentioned, and sometimes you know you do a bit of research and stuff. So that's great. Um, now speaking of Senegal, you did mention before that you were you're currently learning French. So I would assume that mm, when you went wait. there, your French wasn't as great. But did that have like did that impact your experience in any way in Senegal? Woo, sis! <laughs> <laughs> like I spoke to some friends before going, and I was I think even maybe two months before I remember messaging my friend Vivian because she knows um, Senegal very very well. Um, and she said, sis, it will help. But I didn't realize how much it would help when mm-hmm, I got there. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, again, same thing. You know, it was colonized by the French. So a lot of people speak French. But then something that I didn't actually know until closest to the trip is that a lot of people in Senegal speak Wolof, um, which is what I was learning in Gambia. So mm-hmm. that was a bit of security knowing, oh, okay, great. I can just take the Wolof that I've been learning. And I'm also going to put some French in it. But it will really get you far. And, you know, uh, I'm sure everyone has that one friend that is cultureless but loves to travel a lot, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that you'll be at a restaurant and it's very clear that the staff don't speak that much English. But somehow this friend thinks that, you know, raising their voice will make the staff understand them. No, honey. It's <laughs> literally learning the language. Um, and that's a day-to-day, you know, uh, I didn't have uh, the luxury of friends picking me up all the time as I would in maybe Sierra Leone. Quite a lot of my friends would do that. It was so sweet because most of my friends were like guys and, you know, West African guys are very much, oh, let me pick you up or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Senegal, I had a very small network of people that I knew and one of my really good friends lived a bit far from me. So it meant that we just had to meet at a certain part of town. How do you get around? Taxi. It's not, there, there are no Ubers or any pooling um, app systems. You head a taxi with your hand. You have to have a discussion before you get into the taxi because you're agreeing on a price. Mm-hmm. Every part of this conversation has to be in French or Wolof. Otherwise, you can't go anywhere. So I had to force myself to learn to speak um, the local languages, which works well in my favor. If I wasn't happy with the price, I could dispute that in chosen language mm-hmm. and get the price that I wanted. Um but yeah, that, honestly, you, you cannot get around unless you speak some of the language, um, because I genuinely met 
quite a lot of people that did not speak English. Um, they could understand what I was saying, but they wouldn't respond in English. So as well as speaking it, it's also understanding it um, as well. So that was a very big challenge because I'm very, very solo at this point. Um, and I don't have the security of lots of friends near me to translate for me and so and so. Mm -hmm. It was very much so all on me, um, which was very empowering. I find that a lot of people give into fear and think, oh, crap, so that means I'm not going to have a great time then. But I think it's up to you to to shape um, your experience. Mm -hmm. So Senegal was just a lot about learning local languages um, and just enjoying more of what the, the place has to offer, mm. which was a lot. That's great. I mean, speaking of like languages, I remember um, I went to Mauritius a couple of years ago and they speak like the locals speak Creole and I speak um, a bit of French. So that's kind of like how I use it. And I was traveling with my older sister who doesn't speak any French. So I remember we were trying to get a like a taxi and then they're like they do like the shared taxis. So you get in with like other people that are there. And then I spoke to the guy in my like basic in my French and then like somehow he understood it because it's kind of close to Creole so that's how we ended up getting a ride and then I remember also like my, the day when I was I did something similar to you where I went partying with my younger sister the day before I was supposed to leave to go to the airport and uh we got home from the club like at four or five a.m and then I slept a little bit then I was now trying to get back to my hotel and like there was no bus that was coming um and then this man in like a he was like driving a truck and like he stopped and he asked me if i needed help in french and then somehow you know thankfully uh, i was safe so he ended up dropping me at my actual hotel and he didn't ask me for any money at all and he didn't try to kidnap me so that's great oh, that's but just beautiful. like knowing that like i spoke that i speak a bit of french and like trying to use that actually helped me in this particular instance so i think it's great that you mentioned you know your you you know your ability you, you you actually made an effort to learn the language so i think every traveler needs to do that and a huge well done to you because you know again i think a lot of us will just give in to the fear mm -hmm. but just knowing hey i've got internet on my phone why don't i translate a few sentences and learn the basics to help me get around mm -hmm. so you know, again, someone would probably think, oh, my God, you're crazy. You went into a truck with a stranger. But, you know, when you just have a good feeling and you're like, you know what? I, I genuinely feel like this is OK. This mm -hmm. is fine. This mm -hmm. is part of my experience. And, yeah, I'm just going to go with it. So, yeah. honestly, if we never went for it, I, I don't think we'd ever really know how far our, our strengths can take us. Agreed. Um, now, on your blog, you you documented your trip um, until the point of Senegal, and you also mentioned that you traveled by road from Gambia to Senegal, or it's a, like one of the options. Um, and I've been seeing a lot of travel African travel bloggers and writers traveling by road to different countries because obviously it's cheaper than flying across the continent. Um, so, do you have any tips for surviving a road trip? Yes. Um, stay hydrated, don't expect um, any kind of special treatments or any VIP treatments. Um, just, yeah, stay hydrated, come prepared, comfortable, lots of tissues because there'll be a few pit stops where you're using things that should be toilets but do not look like toilets. <laughs> um, uh, 
keep yourself entertained considering it may be a, a long journey so that's having stuff downloaded on netflix i had loads of little episodes of fresh prince of bel-air um obsessed with spotify so always listening to it have a power bank um to have things charged up as well um and yeah like i don't know i find that in this season of lockdowns and etc where a lot of people are bored um it takes a lot for me to get bored and when i am bored i don't see it as a negative thing Mm -hmm. um scientifically as humans we are actually meant to get a little bit bored because you know we need to get used to being okay with doing nothing sometimes Mm -hmm. so i don't try to overwhelm myself with something if i just want to sit down and just look into the sky then I can do so comfortably or if I just want to listen to music then so be it so I'm quite comfortable in my own company with not doing crazy amounts but those were honestly my basics just having a soft drink and loads of water with me um again pit stops are great because it's an opportunity to uh, I don't know if you if you genuinely want to talk to people, then you can do so on the bus. Also, bearing in mind that there was a slight language barrier, I think there was one lady in front of me that I spoke to on the journey from Gambia to Senegal. Also, I made sure that I spoke to the driver, and I think it's really important to when traveling solo, so they can look out for you because mm-hmm. it's kind of it was a little bit scary because he didn't do a head count after each pit stop. Mm. So imagine if someone was left behind, Mm. Um, you know, that would have been like the worst thing ever. So I made sure that I spoke to the driver who was absolutely lovely, Um, you know, escorted me to the toilet at one point because I just had no idea where where I was going and with one of the pit stops um, as well. So you're just making sure that you have, uh, the basics like some toiletries loads of um you know hand sanitizers and wipes and this is this is how I've always been it didn't take a pandemic to teach me how to wash my hands or um to be clean like yeah. it's literally how I've been and if you are going to be somewhere for a nine hour journey which is how long it takes um from Gambia to Senegal then just ensure that you've done like a good wipe down before you relax there um also having a fanny pack is also really important because you just want to make sure that your belongings are there and in my fanny pack is always my money passport um and my two phones mm. um so yeah uh Thanks. just yeah Thank keeping an fun. eye is is really really important when you're traveling mm-hmm. alone mm-hmm. anywhere mm. thanks for sharing i i'm just having flashbacks to the road trips that i've taken i've done like a bunch of uh solo road trips to i i most i i always did road trips from lusaka to harare um and i remember this one time like i literally almost cried at the border because the i i didn't realize that um at the time this was when zimbabwe was like run by mugabe so they didn't really like press you know going to like their country so i remember putting on my application that i'm like a writer because I'm a freelance writer, but I think I put something like, yeah, I put Uh something like journalist or whatever. And then they were just like, no, you can't come. Like, they're like, where's your press pass? And I'm like, no, but I'm going to pick up my press because I was going for a festival, actually. So I was supposed to pick up my press pass like in Harare itself. 
So um, they were like, no, you can't come because you don't have a press pass. Like, oh, my gosh. When I tell you, like, I literally was, like, almost crying at the border. So they made me, like, wait. They, they like, they screened everybody that was going through. They're like, no, wait on the side. And then, like, I had to call my friends in Zimbabwe, like, on WhatsApp. I'm like, can you please speak to this guy at the border? Like, can you tell him that I'm, like, a writer for real? And, like, you know, but then in the end, I guess they felt sorry for me and they, like, let me go. But then that was, like, my thing to, like, to do more research and be aware that, like, not every country likes you know journalists or press so like maybe i should just put student on my occupation when i'm filling out the border um applications so that's my tip to share to <laughs> to listeners like if you're like even if you're a travel blogger because that also like takes writing into effect but some countries are a little bit like antsy about foreign media going in or make sure you have a press pass before yeah honestly and i think that's um that's what made me feel uh, comfortable as being a freelance journalist and not having to say so. Mm-hmm. Because I believe that's where the keyword free comes in. You know, I have the freedom of choice if I want to announce that or not. I wasn't working on any sensitive news stories. A lot of the stories that I've been working on has been real life, entertainment, inspired, nothing too controversial. Mm-hmm. And I made sure that I had conversations with my editors at the BBC before taking out this work. It was very different to around, you know, early this time last year where I was deployed on a trip as a BBC member of staff with security, with editors that knew where I was around the clock whilst I was in Nigeria for a month working on the Nigerian elections. Very different. Mm -hmm. Of course, I had to, you know, say what I was doing. Um, So I just made sure, you know, being a woman, I I would not stay and I am a journalist. um, And that was just down to advice given from colleagues because African countries and journalism, like, it just reminds me of when I was in Gambia at an an exhibition that was put on to remember the lives of the survivors, um, from the former president of Gambia, Yaya Jammeh's mm-hmm. regime. Mm-hmm. And just knowing if I was in Gambia five years ago, like I could have been done for just for being a journalist. You know, there's a lot of animosity um, towards just people carrying out their jobs and not even trying to expose the truth, but just trying to inform the public of, of what's going on. So that's something that always sticks in the back of my mind and literally the scenario that you're in is probably one of my probably one of my traveling nightmares Mm -hmm. um so I'm, i'm really glad that you were let through in the end yeah i mean it ended up being a really good trip so you know sometimes you just have to sh- shed a few tears at the border <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna remember that <laughs> or pretend to shed a few tears at the border <laughs> um oh now um you know previously you spoke about like you know the fact that you're comfortable with like being um by yourself and comfortable in boredom sometimes and i i wanted to know like i'm sure there are moments even though you're comfortable being a solo traveler when you feel like lonely so how do you deal with loneliness um and how did you deal with loneliness during your trip if you experienced that at all yeah um there's this really great quote that i came across a few years ago and um it's i'm just trying to remember it okay so the quote is alone isn't always lonely Mm -hmm. um and I love that and I think it's super super important to remember because again there is just there I I guess there's this fear of people being on their own like does that sometimes come into the mix like do they start to feel alone or worried or scared and etc I think I'm just very much so aware so 
safety comes first and it's really paramount so it's obviously ensuring that um the people closest to me know where i am Mm-hmm. It's telling my location. It's having an emergency contact in that country, especially for the sake of like my parents, because um, I'm the only girl in the family. I've got five older brothers, so they're very much so like, okay, our only girl, our only girl. Mm. Um, but just in terms of me, like moving around, I'm quite good at entertaining myself. Not even when there's a need for it, but my usual routine um, comprises of music um to-do lists having interviews to edit there's always someone that wants to facetime or catch up with me which is really great as well um taking french lessons again a big part of this trip was Mm self-development so it's just looking at myself and the things that i could delve more into you know uh, is it worth taking up a course i still haven't done one yeah but you know just really giving myself the chance to explore things freely as opposed to feeling pressured to mm-hmm. and it's very interesting to see a lot of people in a similar position um as I was a few months ago where I was again traveling alone doing my own thing alone and a lot of people are now stuck inside their households and there's a mixture of do whatever you want during this time of lockdown or use this time wisely to study X, Y, and Z, learn a new language, learn how to grow a plant in your garden. And to be honest, whatever time you spend alone is completely up to you. I had a mini list of things I um, wanted to get into, and it's just nice just to tick them off, like Mm -hmm. um, do random bits of uh, painting, um, become um, better with my editing. So that, that was quite a big thing for me because at the BBC, we use this system that you could only use in the building. So mm. after buying my MacBook and realizing I couldn't get that system on my laptop, it meant learning a completely new different type of editing software. And it was like pressure learning because I had to learn how to edit on this software because I'm the one that's producing these interviews that I'm sending back to the BBC to commission and therefore pay me. If I do not learn how to do this, then I cannot get paid. Mm. So that was a different type of motivation. Yes. Um, within itself so there were lots of like productive and relaxing things um that I I um do quite a lot in my um spare time you know just like reading a few books nothing too crazy and I guess uh, with a different environment comes with different types of things to do so um you know after uh, moving out of my first Airbnb in Senegal and into my second one, realising it was literally an eight-minute walk from the beach, planned to have a solo beach day, have never been to the beach by myself um, when I solo travelled um, in France. But yeah, I, I probably planned this day, I'm going to have a solo beach day, read a book, eat some food, chill, drink, go home before it gets dark. Mm. On the way there, bumped into a really lovely girl from the States, literally just asked her for directions. She said she would take me to the beach, which was cool. When we got to the beach, we realised how lively it looked and she asked if she could join me and we just spent the day together on the beach. So, I don't know, it's just, it's a beautiful thing knowing that um, even when you're alone, you'll just be surprised how you make friends because, mm-hmm. again, it wasn't my intention to meet or hang out with anyone. I'm very comfortable in my own company, but it's, it's a beautiful thing when... Uh, you meet other people that uh, also want to become part of um, of your company. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, alone and lonely, two very different things. Um, just ensuring that I felt safe wherever I laid my head at night. Um, 
again, having an emergency contact, God forbid if anything happened, um, and just doing research on areas, not going out uh, when it's dark, um, you know, pepper spray, I did pack with me, <laughs> but by the grace of God, I haven't, I haven't felt a need to use it or bring it out at all which makes me really happy. So that's yeah. great. That's great. Thank you for sharing. Um, now to end the podcast, I just wanted to know um, where are you going after the coronavirus and like where are you, co- you know, where, where's your next stop and um, what other countries you have left to complete on your trip? Mm. It's a very interesting question, you know, when coronavirus ends. And again, I'm a really big believer in being, um, optimistic mm-hmm. I, I do you know have praise and so much belief for the world and have even tweeted um you know i think once a week or so i tweet the amount of recoveries because mm-hmm. i find that as a journalist brain of mine i'm linked into all these bbc emails that i get every single day and it can be quite triggering you're reading about death tolls and you're going on social media like it can really sort of like shift your your mental health or, or shake it, shall I say, rather, and sort of contribute to the reasons as to why I became um, a freelancer, just so I could have freedom in the choices that of stories that I wanted to report on and research on and etc. Um, so I have been tweeting like weekly the recoveries in the world. Um, I've had a really amazing start of the year with travels. I've, I've, you know, this is like my fifth country this year now, being Nigeria where I am. Mm-hmm. I'm eternally grateful. But um, as for traveling, I do not mind for the greater good, maybe relaxing a little bit for mm-hmm. a few months mm-hmm. after this. So after Nigeria, I'm planning to go to Ghana because I silly left my well not silly purposely left a suitcase there because I thought I'd be going back for a wedding but mm-hmm. sadly because of COVID that wedding is cancelled so yeah planning to go to Ghana because I need to pick up my belongings and then after Ghana I actually plan to end um this six well will be seven month trip um at um in Gambia actually because there's a potential opportunity uh, that could be there for me that I look forward to informing you about it closer to the time as well. So, yeah, so by the time I um, get back to the UK, it will be July. And again, I'm just praying for, you know, a really good outcome from this. Obviously, mm-hmm. praying for a vaccine, praying for a much, much lower um, death toll. Um, because I'm, I'm speaking at it not even from a realist perspective, but journalistically, yeah. the impact that this i can't imagine it going away dramatically soon but i do have hope that there will be much less casualties um and much less cases with the further developments that are done so i'm very happy to currently be in west africa um and to end it in beautiful beautiful gambia and to come back in july where the weather will finally be a bit nicer in the uk Mm -hmm. spend time with friends and family and probably just stay in the uk for a little bit before maybe a possible trip here or there and that's another thing um you know many holidays that my friends had plans had had been cancelled it's a crazy one Missouri, because i feel like we kind of have to wait to see what each country says before we decide to go into that country True. no one can really make proper plans now 
I've got a group of best friends that I really want to go to Dubai. Um, I've been a couple of times before, happy to go with them just for a girly release trip. Mm-hmm. We're all on holiday again together. So we want to do it at some point this year. I can't even tell you a month. <laughs> and another good friend of mine, um, Lauren, we were meant to go to Portugal in July for the Afro Nation Festival, which is no longer happening. It's being postponed. Um, we want to go to Santorini. But again, these aren't things that are set in stone. Um, I'm just thankful to be focusing on the now. Mm-hmm. Uh, just waiting for these borders to open up in Ghana, where I'm meant to go to, pl- to collect my stuff. Mm-hmm. And then waiting for the borders to open in Gambia. But the dates that I plan to go there, it should be possible. So I guess um, I'm more fortunate in that sense. Um, but yeah, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed the time that I spent out there. And when i travel next again after this it i I just have to wait to see what the law says Mm -hmm. which is right because this time last year we didn't have to wait for nobody not even our bosses at work no the main time (laughs) bye i'm going yeah (laughs) oh how times have changed but fingers crossed for you i wish you well um hannah i would like to thank you so much for being on the when do we know um, podcast and sharing your tips and your experiences traveling through West Africa for people that would like to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Yes. So all over Instagram and Twitter and it's Hannah H A W N A H underscore Ajala, A J A L A. And in those bios are the links to my blog where, uh, slash website where you can see all of the work that I've been doing, uh, all the amazing people that I've been interviewing, the exhibition in London, if you're listening from London town, um, should be open at some point soon as well. And my podcast, where I'm speaking to all these amazing people in all these countries, should be out in a few months' time. So, uh, Mizuba, thank you for connecting with me and thank you so much for having me on this brilliant pod. You're welcome. So you can find the Mwende We Know podcast on Instagram. We are at Mwende We Know podcast. Mwende We Know spelled M-W-E-N-D-E-B-W-I-N-O on Twitter at Mwende We Know. And you can listen to this podcast and all our others on our platforms such as SoundCloud, Spotify, Player FM, and Anchor. Now, Hannah, in Zambia, when you're traveling somewhere, we wish you well. And we say Mwende Wino. So I wish you well. And I say to you, Mwende Wino. Thank you so much. You're welcome.